You're listening to episode 63 of the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about how being a human is hard AF. Welcome to the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we explore how to use the science of psychology, Eastern spiritual practices like mindfulness and compassion, and the game-changing work of self-coaching so you can free your mind and free your life. I'm your host, Anna Verzoni. Hey, hey, my friends. I hope you had an amazing weekend. I just got back from Kennecott, Alaska, having some epic adventures and also chillaxing with friends. The ice climbing was awesome and views of the Root Glacier were gorgeous. You know, I did a short workshop with Philip Moffat while I was out there, and somehow he and I ended up in a breakout room together. And he asked me, did you ever think all those years ago, growing up in East Palo Alto, that you'd end up above a glacier in Alaska? (laughs) I was like, nope. Anyway, I had morning runs along the moraine, and I could hear the glacier like moan and rumble as it shifted as the temperature rose with the sun. It's a really special place. And it's a former mining town. So it's really cool. It's got these amazing historic mining buildings. And I think about how hardcore the miners were that were out there decades ago, like almost 100 years ago, right? Like those folks knew how to suffer. Miners always went to the most intense places. Whenever I hike on a trail and am overcome by the raw beauty of what I see, the trail inevitably was first created by miners, whether it's in the desert or whether it's in Alaska. I'm just always so impressed. So anyway, speaking of knowing how to suffer, today, I wanted to talk about a common thing we all share, how being a human is freaking hard and what that ultimately means for our happiness. I mean, just being born in a body makes things trickier, right? At the very least, we are born and get squished through a birth canal or come out on an operating table of sorts, and then we get older and things change how they function, and then we all eventually die. We get sick, we get sore throats, things break, things get cut. So just having a body can be hard. And then our brain, our brain creates a whole new level of suffering, right? We have physical pain then, but we also have mental pain. Like I touched on the episode about the second arrow, we will naturally have experiences that are either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant or unpleasant, also known as neutral, right? So some things will automatically generate fear, for example, but our brain adds on to that with stories and drama, why we don't deserve to be happy, judgments about how lame we are for getting scared in the first place, all of that. And for most of us, the fact that being human is hard is a no-brainer. We're like, duh, I've experienced that. But even if your life has been charmed, no matter how blessed your life is, you will experience these things. Everyone does. And often when things have been very charmed for a long time, when these things do eventually happen, the fall is even harder. So like I remember one of my teachers, Geshe Sultram Gyaltsen, he was talking about how you know, in the God and Goddess realm, for example, they live for eons in 
uh, perfect bliss, right? Like everything's beautiful. The flowers are beautiful. They're beautiful. They never age for eons and eons and eons. Like, like we can't even fathom how long it is. But then, because all things are impermanent, one day they start noticing the flowers wilting and they start smelling the stagnant water. And then they notice their skin changing. And it's like, because everything was so awesome for so long, when things do start to change and start to fade away, then they like lose their shit even more. (laughs) And it was funny because he was like, the God and goddess realm is like California (laughs) where everybody's beautiful and there goes surfing and yoga and eat healthy food. But yes, even with the charmed life, like things do eventually happen, right? So today I want to redeem the bad reputation of one of the core teachings within Buddhism that is often misunderstood. And that is about how human beings hard. And I want to do so in the context of not like some expert on this topic, but in how it has helped me be happier. And I hope it can help you too. All right. So now when the Buddha first taught, he could have taught anything, right? Like he had just awakened his mind completely. His mind was clear and he experienced no obstacles, just the vastness and goodness of himself and his life. But the story goes that it was difficult for him to express his experience. And initially, he decided not to teach at all because he thought no one would be able to understand what he was talking about. But he finally decided he would go out and he would teach because there were people that wanted to hear him. So the interesting thing is, is that at first he didn't talk about our Buddha nature and basic goodness or space or clarity or bliss, nirvana or openness and wonder, the things that many people actually seek in meditation, right? But in his first teaching, the teachings on the Four Noble Truths, he talks about suffering. Now, a lot of people hear that and think, what a buzzkill. Why is Buddhism such a downer? And they think Buddhists walk around all sad and depressed waiting to escape this life and just meditate on how much suffering there is in the world. But what I've personally found is when I stopped resisting that being human was supposed to be hard, I stopped spinning in why shit was happening and trying to keep bad things from happening. And instead I was able to live more fully. I mean, how many times has something bad happened to you and you thought it meant something was wrong? I see this all the time when people try new endeavors, something risky, right? They go for it. And if it wasn't easy or if they experience a failure, they think it was not meant to be. I mean, this has happened to me. I know when I've tried things in my business and maybe it didn't work out the first time around, I was like, well, guess maybe I'm not cut out for this, right? (laughs) This is just how our brains work. Like, and then if someone dies, if someone they love dies, people will ask, why is this happening in my life right now? Why to me? Or why them? Why did this happen to them? We get sick and we wonder, why me? Why now? And we lament how it's such bad timing or how we have bad luck or why does this shit always happen to me? Yeah. We spin and we spin down. Now, when my practice was strong, You know, I'd just been on several retreats, meditating regularly, going to weekly Dharma teachings, 
This was obviously before having a kid. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So anyway, my practice, I had been really dropping in. And then in 2008, my father died. And I remember being able to surrender to the fact that this was part of being born a human, that we die, that we lose loved ones. And I felt guilty that I had left his bedside and wasn't there when he died. But I was also able to see that I had to surrender to that and that it didn't mean anything was wrong or that I was unworthy or a bad daughter. So I didn't dwell in that guilt. And I was able to celebrate his life and our relationship and also fully mourn his death. And it's not that I didn't feel the pain any less deeply, but I didn't suffer unnecessarily. Now, contrast that to when in 2017, my mother died while I was in Morocco. I was in a doctoral program with a toddler. My doctoral project was in Nepal, and it had me coordinating 18 rural clinics with a tertiary care hospital in Kathmandu. I was almost done with my paper. I was just about to present, and I'd come to Morocco to celebrate after I was about to graduate in two weeks. Then... Then I was going to meditate again. Then I was going to spend time with family again, go visit my mom again. But she died before that could happen. And when my mother died, there was so much resistance. It felt so wrong, so unnecessary, so unfair. I was devastated. I overdrank. I gained weight. And I had some of the darkest days of my life. And even in that, I could tell that there was a qualitative difference with the experience of my father's death and that of my mother's, and it had a lot to do with my practice. And therefore, my ability to remind myself that being human was hard and that this pain was a part of being alive and being born in a body, and it impacted my ability to resource within to accept it and manage it. So, you know, the first noble truth, as it's called, simply says that it's part of being human to feel discomfort, right? So the pivotal notion around which this revolves is that of, you know, the Pali word for it is dukkha, often translated as suffering. But the Pali word originally meant pain and suffering, a meaning that it still holds onto in the text when it's used as a quality of feeling a quality of feeling. So in these cases, it's like pain or painful. So I like to say it reminds us that being human is hard because I know that the word suffering can be so triggering for people, but being a human's hard. So dukkha encompasses not just like acute suffering of sickness, aging, and death, but also includes those vague feelings that we have of anxiety and dissatisfaction that kind of are these undercurrents of the moments of our lives. And this is really important to grasp because if we're going to free our minds and therefore our lives, we can't keep resisting reality. And we need to recognize suffering so we can acknowledge that this too is a part of life we can understand and fully experience how our lives are entwined and characterized by dukkha, meaning your mental experiences of discomfort, of pain, of stress, instability, inadequacy, failure, and disappointment, right? 
And we interpret this as suffering in our mind. So this teaching is often referred to as the truth of suffering. And in it, right, there are the three kinds of suffering again. So to review, the dukkha of physical and emotional pain, right? A second one is the dukkha of constant change. Just the fact that things are constantly changing and this causes us suffering. When we like something, we don't want to lose it. When we don't like something, we wish it would go away faster, right? And then there's the dukkha of life's kind of compositional nature. And that kind of creates this kind of pressure and unease that's constantly present, even in the best times. It's kind of like that feeling of uneasiness that we notice and wonder why it's there. So the first kind of dukkha is the obvious suffering caused by physical discomfort, like stubbing your toe or being hungry or not getting enough sleep or chronic disease and the discomforts that accompany that. It's also the emotional suffering that arises when you become frustrated that things don't go your way or you get upset about life's injustices or you start stressing about money or meeting others' expectations or about thinking about what other people think of you. Every day, we have many experiences that cause us to be disappointed, yeah, anxious and tense, like getting stuck in traffic, um, snapping at a loved one during an argument forgetting to finish something important that we were supposed to do. Am I right? So in addition to the dukkha we experience as a result of these painful, traumatic, and uncomfortable events that happen to us, the second type is that of the fact that life is constantly changing, right? The impermanent nature. So doesn't it seem... Like the moment you found happiness in life, it like disappears almost at once. <laughs> like something really good happens at work or you and your partner have awesome morning sex and really connect or you share a sweet moment with your kiddo and then bam, it's over, right? Now you're worried about a deadline or a stressful email or you remember a fight that you had with your partner or lover and then you start coping with your kiddo's demands. and all those pleasant feelings are replaced by fatigue and worry and the burden of all your responsibilities. But in truth, no moment is reliable because the next moment's coming along fast on its heels, right? And it feels like a constant bombardment of change undermining every state of happiness. And so the mind feels like it can't ever find a place to sit back and enjoy life without fear. My clients convey this all the time. Like they've been getting coached and they start manifesting amazing things in their life finally. And they tell me they can't enjoy it because they're always worried about it ending, right? Like fear of the other shoe dropping, right? And ironically, it leads to us not enjoying the good times as fully as we can when they are happening and we don't savor them. So there's that paradoxical truth again, that the one constant in your life is change. So like everyone else, you do what you can to try to prolong, enhance, and increase the number of pleasurable moments in your life, right? Like everyone else, you do what you can to try to prolong, enhance, and increase the number of pleasurable moments in your life, right? and avoid any uncomfortable things that can cause pain and suffering and discomfort. 
that's totally normal, but nothing consistently works. And that's not because you're doing it all wrong or there's something wrong with you or because it's like, meaning that there's something wrong in life. It's because it's impossible to avoid. There's always the next moment. And the reality that being human's hard, no matter how much we want to pretend it's not supposed to be that way. So no matter how much we attempt to distract ourselves, and like me, you may be one of those people who are really great at creating distractions with buffering, right? Like over drinking, binge watching TV, or overworking, your nervous system still perceives the changes. Even if you're trying to distract yourself, your nervous system perceives the impermanent nature of the beautiful moments, even when you're not aware of it. And it suffers, oftentimes even more so when you're trying to ignore it. No doubt you felt the pain, the confusion, and stress that this constant flux brings to your own life. With one moment being really desirable and the next something you'd rather avoid. And here is why this is important and how it can contribute to our happiness. You make every single choice every day within this context. Think about that. This is the motivational triad I've discussed before, how our reptilian brain is motivated by seeking pleasure, avoiding pain, and doing what's easy, which is why it takes a lot of work, like meditation, mindful movement, thought work, et cetera, to overcome it, right? We can't escape from it. It's impersonal. It's a universal truth of life. It's not just happening to you or just to me. None of us, not even the wisest, the most powerful, the wealthiest people get to be an exception. We all feel pain. We all lose loved ones. We all get sick and we all die. And when we become aware that we create so much suffering trying to avoid reality, to avoid that these things happen, to pretend that they're not supposed to happen, to pretend that things are wrong if these things are happening and that there's some way that we might be able to control it all. When we realize that we're trying to fight reality, we can catch ourselves when we do that and use our energy more effectively to manage our response to that reality, which is what we actually have control over, right? So to me, this isn't a downer. It's a fact. You know, it's funny. I'd been watching Lucifer as one of my guilty pleasures. <laughs> and when offered a chance at immortality, Eve talks about how mortality is a gift, how it makes the time that we do have that much more precious. I was like, check it out. First noble truth in Lucifer, right? Like when we can embrace that things change, that eventually we all age that we get sick, that, that, that we die, then we can more savor the time that we do have. So on top of those types of suffering that I've mentioned, every day, even during the pleasant moments, we also experience like an underlying unease about the future. This worry and anxiety is a manifestation of the third type of suffering the Buddha identified, life's inherent unsatisfactoriness due to its intrinsic 
instability. It's just this kind of like all pervasive feeling, right? It's the type of suffering we're most likely not to recognize, yet the most kind of instructive when we do recognize it, right? It's kind of this background anxiety and insecurity that is kind of hanging out there even in our happiest moments. So like deep down, it's this fear that life doesn't offer us a solid ground and that our very existence is questionable. From a Buddhist point of view, these doubts are really well-founded and exploring them gives us some insight. So even if you're fortunate in terms of like your physical and emotional health, and even if you live in a really secure environment with material comforts, your life is still filled with uncertainty. And we have a background knowing of that, right? We have a sense that accidents and disease and emotional disappointments or upsets and economic setbacks and death like are around the corner at some point. And this leads us to feel anxious and insecure, especially when we believe that they should never happen. And a good example of a subtle version of this is how often in your adult life, like think about how often you've experienced this kind of unease that came from a sense of meaninglessness at some point in your life. Like think of all those occasions when you may have thought, oh, I'm I'm wasting my life or I'm sleepwalking through it. I'm not living from my deepest, most heartfelt sense of myself. That kind of questioning your very existence or meaning of your existence. So think about if you had times when you felt as though there was not much you did every day that had any real or lasting significance. I've been there, right? It sucks. But at some point in our lives, we've all been in this kind of dark place, right? Sometimes it's mild. When it's mild, I describe it as like, I'm kind of in a funk today. But it carries with this this like self-doubt and existential angst. So yeah, there's that too, right? Now, Some people think that if we acknowledge that suffering's part of life, then we call more of it in. They think that we will manifest more of it because we're acknowledging it and it'll be in our mind. That's like the toddler that plugs their ears and is like, la, 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 to avoid the truth that their parent is saying. And when we deny that being human is hard, then when hardship does happen, we spend all this time feeling guilty about it or ashamed or confused or wishing it weren't so. And we're fighting reality. And guess what manifests then? In my experience, more suffering when we're ignoring it. Being a human is hard, no matter what you believe. That's why it's a truth. As is the truth that there's a way out of the suffering. Because the reality of suffering, the reality that being a human is hard is only one of the truths. And I'll be covering the others in the next episodes, like the why we suffer, what are the causes, and the truth that it can end and how to do that. But first, we need to stop fighting reality because then we can live more fully in the present moment. So the take home here is that the first truth is saying that while being a human is hard and inescapable, suffering is an experience of the mind. In contrast to most advertisements and consumerist approaches, this teaching isn't offering us some kind of relief from pain. 
It's offering us relief from the extra mental reactivity that causes our suffering. And this isn't just a Buddhist teaching per se, right? If you look at ancient Greek mythology, there's so many stories where the common humanity of the experience of tragedy, for example, is normalized. In fact, the classical literature, like in that, we see this pervasively. Then at some point, people decided that, hey, that's a downer, man. We shouldn't talk about that anymore. Yet when we resist reality, when we think that we should not be suffering or that something's wrong when we're suffering, we ironically suffer way more than we need to be. Now, I want to be very clear here that this does not mean that injustices and causing harm to other people is supposed to be happening, right? I'm just saying that in this teaching, it's not to justify causing suffering or perpetuating systems that increase suffering. It is to say, hey, humans fuck up and being a human is hard. So instead of wasting time sort of lost in ourselves and wondering why is this happening to me and what is wrong here, we can say, okay, how can I most skillfully respond to this? How can I take the pain that I'm experiencing and not create more suffering from it and therefore live life more fully, right? When we resist reality, when we think that we should not be suffering, we suffer way more than we need to be, right? Because there's a difference between the pain of life and our reaction to it. And when we can embrace the reality that being human is hard, we can then stop resisting it and we can start to live more fully. We can savor the precious moments of pleasure and not get sucked down a spiral when it's hard. So this week, try one or all of these three activities I want to recommend. And these were influenced by a workshop I recently did with Philip Moffat. One is you can make a list of the different ways in which you experience suffering. Just notice also if there are certain areas in which you're resistant to acknowledging that there's suffering going on, because that's something we can do too, right? We can deny it's happening. And you can also think about your closest friends and the ways in which suffering shows up in their lives. Another thing is you can think of a time in your past when you were uber miserable and felt as if you'd never be happy again. Like, think about that and then reflect on how your life has changed since then. Then think of a situation in your life right now that's working well and acknowledge that this too will change. Notice how they're paired, the suffering and the happiness. And you can also, just the third thing I want to recommend, you can spend this week noticing when a feeling of dukkha has arisen in your mind. And you can ask yourself, how much of this suffering is an objective fact and how much of it is my emotional resistance to it? Yeah? How much of this suffering is an objective fact and how much of it is my emotional resistance to it? Just get curious. You may be pleasantly surprised when you stop fighting what is and instead cultivate your resilience 
to handle whatever life sends your way. That ZG, that, that ability to say, bring it on. You know, bring it on because I can handle it. I have that inner radiant confidence. I have that resilience to bounce back. Okay. And don't worry, I'll be sharing how to do that in the next few episodes. So until then, Rebel, know that you're not alone. Being human is hard AF and you got this. Okay. We're going to figure it out. See you next week. If you like what you heard, please spread the love and share it. And if you know you need some help with this and want to learn more about how to free your mind and free your life, go to rebelbuddhist.com and grab my free Rebel Buddhist Toolkit, where you'll receive a video training on cultivating resilience, access to the private Rebel Buddhist group where I do weekly live sessions on topics just like this, and a copy of the gorgeous Rebel Buddhist Manifesto, and more for free. That's rebelbuddhist.com.